Episode 94, Bridging the Canyon Between Clinical Decision-Making and EHR Systems. Today, I speak with Noah Weiner, CEO of Avana Health. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. The thing with current EHR systems is that they don't do clinical decision support particularly well. Here's one example. Diabetic patient got a foot exam six months ago. Except every time the patient goes to the doctor, an alert pops up that such a patient should get a foot exam. And the clinician has to click and close all such useless alerts. Or say the patient really does need a foot exam. Then it becomes up to the clinician to figure out which order set or template to pull up in the hopes of meeting some quality standard. Stated differently, it gets cumbersome really fast. Today, I speak with Noah Weiner, CEO of Avana Health, about the current state of affairs and solutions. My name is Stacey Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Noah. Thank you for having me today. The last time that we had spoken, I had told you about a slide that I had seen, which Troy Trigstad had shown me. He is episode 84, actually. On the slide, there was a picture, and the picture was of the Grand Canyon. And on one side of the Grand Canyon, it said population health management slash analytics. And on the other side of the Grand Canyon, it had clinical workflow or EHR workflow. And I was talking about this slide with you and you said, oh, it's not the Grand Canyon. It's, it's actually a galaxy in there. Yeah. So I remember last time we talked, you discussed that and asked me that specific question. And after our conversation, one thing I actually did is researched what is population health. I think that's one thing that's kind of getting thrown around a lot out there now. Population health this, population health that. And if you kind of go to HIMSS, you'll see everyone's saying they're doing population health. Rather than taking care of one patient, you take care of a thousand patients at once. And then look at the other end of this canyon or galaxy. You mentioned EHRs. And that really, when I hear EHR, electronic medical record, I really think of workflow. So what is that piece of technology that physicians are using that fits into their workflow? EHRs were set up and how they were designed 30 years ago is really as billing systems for an individual patient. So really what happens here is through meaningful use and through these incentive programs, physicians really were gotten bored. They were paid to start using this piece of technology that really took care of an individual patient at times. So they could open up an individual patient chart and really understood what they need to do for a fee-for-service model. But now with population health and kind of reimbursement coming around, it's just physicians just need another piece of technology. And that's where the canyon exists and this gap between EHRs and population health and analytics is that they're incentivized to use a piece of technology that fit in the old model of care, old model of reimbursement. But now they need a piece of technology that fits in the new model of reimbursement. And a lot of that is population health. So what can you do to take care of a group of population rather than just an individual patient at times? And that's really where this canyon comes from. And that you just need technology that combines the two together to really accomplish that goal. Let me throw you a softball. What do you think the technology is that combines the two together? 
<laughs> so that is one thing that I'm working on at Apana Health. For population health, you just need a lot of things that fit in together. And whatever I think of this question, I actually reference a diagram that one of our advisors, one of our board of directors sent to us before that came out with the Office of National Coordinator and really talks about this guideline slash quality ecosystem that exists out there. So how really to provide the best care for a population, really at the end of the day, what it begins at is research. Basic lab bench research that these great academic institutions, they come out saying, based off of the patient population, based off of a certain diagnosis, this is what we determine is the best care. So really good examples, let's say diabetes care. So for diabetics, there's certain things you need to do every year. And what they determine is one of those things is you just need a simple foot exam to make sure you're I know diabetic neuropathy, that's a mouthful, is a big issue with diabetic patients. So every year, a clinician is supposed to go through and make sure that the patient's foot is best it is. And so based off this research, what they come out with is really a guideline. And so from that guideline is another piece of technology that exists that really tells the provider what they should be doing and how it should happen. So now that you have this guideline, really the next stage is how to make it happen. And that's really the issue that we're going after is clinical decision support. But there's a lot of pieces and technology that play together to really get it done. And once you have the how to make it happen with the clinical decision support, you measure it, which is really how it did happen. And then from there, you report on it, which ultimately feeds back into that research. And it's that ever-ending loop. And really with this population health ecosystem, a lot of the vendors in it have focused more on the measurement slash analytics and the reporting after it. So that's all retrospective after the fact, not really before the fact and at the point of care to make sure that the provider is following it. What we've got is population health management, which basically at its core is how do you make sure that a population of patients is being treated with best practice care? I mean, really? Yeah. You've got an average patient and there are average treatment protocols, which the average patient, which are deemed the best way to go for the average patient. So on one hand, you know what those evidence-based best practices are if you've got a guideline. So mm -hmm. you've got guidelines on one side. And then you've got on the other side, these EHR systems, which have lots of boxes and clicks and alerts and things that are popping up and not popping up. <laughs> so the trick is, I can really see how an EHR system could be navigated by a physician who's entering data or doing one task and then followed by another task. But these guidelines aren't just one thing. It's not just do this today. It's going to be do this and maybe not even you do this. Maybe it's the nurse needs to do that. So it's organizing a team to run through some sort of process flow for clinical reasons. But that may or may not match the workflow that's in the EHR system. So let's talk about this at a more granular level. Yeah. How does, and if we want to talk about Ivana here, then let's definitely go there. But how do you get a clinical pathway or a clinical guideline inside an EHR system cleanly here? I think a common misconception out there in really the marketplace is EHR suck. They actually don't suck. They're really good at what they were designed to do. So I guess a little bit about my background. And I actually used to work on the EPIC project at Johns Hopkins, 
where actually a lot of what you mentioned about building care pathways, building these guidelines, I actually did inside the EHR there. And so I got a really good insight in how the current workflow was done. And so what these EHRs were designed, what they were built for 30 years ago, was really as billing systems. So really for a successful billing system, what you need to do is really store a piece of data, then pull out a piece of data. And it's amazing how efficient and how fast they are. So if you ever log into electronic health record, let's use Epic as an example, it's absolutely amazing for how much information that you can pull out almost instantaneously. And that's what they were designed to do. But really in this population health world, really about following these protocols, following these quality of care, what you need to do is pull out that information and then really run it against analytics. And then from those analytics, okay, based on this clinical information that this patient has, what should the follow-up action be? That's when those EHRs falter. And that's really when you need a system that sits on top of the electronic medical record that really helps and does that. So really what you do is you pull the information out, run it through that care pathway engine. And from there saying, hey, look, some of these care pathways are already being followed. We don't need to remind the provider to do that. And other of these care pathways do need to be followed. So let's send a little message to the clinician. Let's send a little message to the right person at the right place at the right time with the right information. That's the whole idea of clinical decision support to make sure that they do it. And so ultimately, that's the main thing that we're going after as the company of HANA. But it doesn't matter if we're working on it or someone else is working on it. It's common sense. And the whole point is to make sure that the clinicians, that the best decision for the patient is the easiest decision. And that really is the whole point of CDS. And these EHRs weren't designed to do that because of that analytics layer. It's just you need another piece of technology to do that. And that's really where the EHRs falter. What I'm hearing is that what's going on is that analytic engine is identifying a gap in care. Mm -hmm. You've got that diabetic that you had used as an example earlier, and that diabetic missed their foot exam this year. Yeah. However, maybe they missed their eye exam as well. Yes. Like generally speaking, a care path is more than one step. And and yes. I think one of the reasons why we get into why alert fatigue is every other clinician's <laughs> second Nightmare. word is because we did start separating the care paths into single elements. So eye exam, foot exam, blood pressure check, just like all these random alerts started popping up, which aren't really random, and they're certainly yeah. not singular, there's a continuum there. Say that a gap in care is identified, right? So, you know, the, the physician's in the EHR system, there's a lot of information that's in the EHR system. There is the analytics engine identifies that this patient may have missed their foot exam. All right, now the EHR system and the clinical have kind of come together at a moment in time. Do they remain together from that point forward? In other words, now all of a sudden that care path can be integrated inside of some sort of order set or template yeah. in, in the EHR system, or do they diverge again at that point? Yeah. Pull back to the point I talked about earlier, what these EHRs were designed to do is that really store information. And they can maybe do some basic analytics, but nowadays with a lot of these guidelines, a lot of these risk scores, it's really complex logic and there's no way for these EHRs to support that. So you really need to outsource that to a third-party system and you really need to make sure that third-party system is integrated inside the EHR. And that's really wasn't possible until recently with the instance of new APIs 
Fire is a good example. So that's one kind of API. I know a lot of these vendors have proprietary APIs. And really what that allows is for real-time communication back and forth. So really a handoff between the EHR and the third-party system to receive that data, analyze that data, then from there, hand it back into electronic health record. Because what you talked about earlier on the show is it's all about the workflow. That if you don't have something that fits into the physician's workflow, they're never going to use it. And nowadays, what workflow is, is the electronic health record. So that's really how it fits in and really how it gets into the physician's workflow and make sure it gets the job done. Basically, what you're saying is that using a technology like Fire, an API like Fire, what can happen is, is that that one point in time, so gap is identified. Now, all of a sudden, the clinical engine is onto it, right? They are recognizing that this patient is, in fact, a diabetic and is going to need a number of different things are best practice medicine due to that revelation mm-hmm. or that diagnosis. So what's going to happen is, is that I get notified as a physician. Let's talk about this in an ideal world, but then let's circle right around and discuss how Avana does this. In an ideal world, the clinical engine is sort of following the patient within what appears to be the EHR. So yep. I'm typing in information, but I'm not only typing it in my EHR, it's also going back up into that clinical engine so that the clinical engine can kind of descend down into the EHR yeah. at other points during the process and notify who's ever there that something needs to happen. Is that kind of the idea? That is 100% the idea. Let's take the example of Ivana. You're installed for purposes of this example in a care setting. Mm-hmm. And this diabetic patient walks in the door and this patient has not had their eye exam. They have not had their foot exam. First, let's take this in an EHR system that does not have a clinical anything mm-hmm. built in. What's the best an EHR system can kind of do at that point? And then let's circle around to how Avana can close that loop, which obviously is not closed without it. What the EHR systems currently do is they have very light features. That's really no way to personalize it. So what they can tell is, okay, this patient is a diabetic. Let's go see and recommend that foot exam. But we can't tell when the last time the foot exam was done. And let's say if a foot exam was done six months ago, we would still recommend it. So they don't really have that feature to get really granular in that data to make sure that's 100% there. And also really that feedback loop and making sure that the physicians actually follow up and do the action. So some EHRs have the ability to say, okay, we see that this patient needs a foot exam. Let's refer them to the podiatrist and queue up that order inside the EHR. But a lot of EHRs don't have that ability. So it says, okay, you have to refer this patient to a podiatrist, but we're not going to help you. and We're not going to tell you at all how you do that. So you have to go back into the EHR, find a specific order code and enter it. And that's some EHRs. And a lot of EHRs are more the basic ones. There's really no functionality there. And what they have to do is they actually, the provider is looking at a paper document, a paper checklist, and they know 95% of the times what they need to do, but it's this edge cases that they need to look into. Okay, this patient has this diagnosis, but not this diagnosis. Does the guideline still apply? So that's what they're currently doing. And at the end of the day, it's about making it very easy for the physician. So if there's no feedback loop at all, they're not going to be doing it. What I'm understanding is that depending on the EHR system, they may or may not be able to tell. This alert will pop down. Hi, you're looking yeah. at a diabetic patient who needs a foot exam, but maybe they just had one. But there's no 
analytics in there, which make that alert not or no logic built in that makes that alert not pop up. And it may pop up for the wrong patient. My favorite example of this is when I visited the dentist last year during flu season, my dentist got an alert for a flu shot. I can't remember the last time I've ever gotten a flu shot in my dentist's office. So really you need to be able to personalize those alerts and really you need to understand the person who's looking at the chart, whether if they're a nurse, whether they're a administrator, whether they're a MD, whether they're a surgeon, you need to take that into account and really tailor those messages to really it applies for the patient they're looking at. Thus, the reputation of EHRs that they've gotten for all these alerts, which 90% of them, and I'm exaggerating here, but there's so many alerts. If you listen to doctors complain that are completely irrelevant and you can see why that would happen if it's just here's your average patient, the average patient needs a foot exam and it doesn't bother to check whether that patient already had one. The other thing that I'm also hearing here is because there's no follow up, the physician could order a foot exam or could not order a foot exam and nobody downstream knows. And with that, they could be ordering the wrong thing that they're not getting reimbursed on. And so that's kind of what you open up the whole point of population health and really how you measure population health and how you kind of reimburse, pay the physician of population health is at the end of the year, quarterly, you go through and measure these quality measures to see how the physician is doing. And if the provider orders the wrong test, orders the wrong um, referral, and they think it's the right one, but it actually is the wrong one, they won't get paid for that work. And then the whole rest of the year, it will be the patient in the eyes of the computer, the eyes of the administrator, the provider did the wrong thing. But in essence, they did everything that they thought they were supposed to do. That also leads to what you had articulated as a third issue, which is that it's kind of like, okay, you've got a problem. Good luck with that. <laughs> um, yeah. It, it Maybe it's not, I mean, we're using foot exam and I can't imagine most physicians don't know what that code yeah, is. Yeah, <laughs> that's a poor like, example. <laughs> but, but you pick something that's a little bit more esoteric and then the physician's got to figure out what the CPT code is or what the order set that you're supposed to use is. I mean, they're completely on their own at that point. So they could be sitting there in the exam room, once again, contributing to the other issue that doctors raise frequently is I'm not looking at my patients. I'm sitting there tinkering around with the EHR system, trying to find some order set or whatever, figure out what's appropriate here. I think actually a much better example is another one's like CHAD2 VASCOR for cardiologists. And that's really to determine the stroke risk over the next decade of a patient. And really what it is, it's an algorithm based off of clinical information. And so when we talk about guidelines, those kind of things, at the end of the day, they're just different algorithms. If this patient has this diagnosis, then do this. So for the chad vast score, it's an algorithm with really it's a multivariable algorithm that takes a lot of different attributes and puts them together. And based off that, it calculates a score. And based off that score, the physician's supposed to practice a certain way. I mean, keep in mind, I'm not a clinician. That's one thing I just want to put out there. But if you actually talk to physicians how they are calculating this CHAD2 FAST score, they're pulling out an app on their phone, they're entering some clinical information that already exists inside the chart, then they're putting their phone away and going and ordering off of that information inside the chart, rather than clicking a button, seeing what their risk score is, and then the follow-up action being automatically queued up inside the EHR so the providers do the right thing. Let's talk about Avana. Am I pronouncing it right? You are correct. Okay, because it's Avhana. If you yeah, it's actually it's actually Avhana, and it comes from the Hebrew word of diagnosis. But uh, the sounds not really in English, so we actually just call it Avhana. Let's take that same example that we were 
using before. Diabetic patient walks into doctor's office. Now the EHR does have Avana plugged in to it. So you're fully installed. How does that experience look different? A lot of it depends on the type of EHR that we're working with. So we've integrated with quite a few different electronic health records, but I'll talk about one of our better integrations with Athena Health. So Athena's done a really great job of really opening up their electronic health record through their more disruption please program to allow companies such as myself to get access to that clinical data to build really innovative apps on top of it, really innovative platforms. And so how our integration with Athena works is we embed a button that sits inside the electronic health record. And so the physician clicks that button. And what happens is we go and pull out the patient's complete medical history. And then from there, present a very simple checklist to the physician saying, based on the patient you're looking at right now, here's every single guideline that applies to the patient And really, a lot of these guidelines are quality measures. So really, we're saying this is how you get paid more. Although at the end of the day, it's about providing quality care. That quality aligns with getting paid more nowadays in this new reimbursement structure. So we say based a very simple checklist, based on the patient you're looking at right now, here's everything you need to do. And then we allow the provider to click a few checkboxes. And what happens is we send those orders back into the electronic health record. When the provider goes back into Athena, there's no logging in or out at all. It's all single sign-on. goes back into Athena. All those discrete orders are on the patient's chart. And so if you really run that quality measure check to see how the provider would do, they would get 100% in that encounter. Let me just make sure I understand this. Doctor goes in, sitting with patient. They click a button. This page pops up that says the patient that you're looking at right now has not had a foot exam for a year. So you're Mm going to need to order a foot exam as well as they have, there's so much comorbidity that exists. So there's some other pathway. They need a liver function test or whatever else needs to happen. Then they just need to click the box, get the foot exam, get the LFT. Then what happens is, is that you have the integration already programmed so that Avana's integration can just instantly go into the EHR system. It pulls up the right order set, puts everything in order. So the physician doesn't have to do that themselves. That is 100% correct. And then that information, as you were talking about before with the closed loop, now this information goes back into the patient medical record so that the next time this patient shows up, they don't get the same. If the physician's already taking care of something, it's not like this pops up again and again and again. It's done. That's correct. And What's also really great is that we know what guidelines the physician's seeing and we know how they follow up on it. So we, we can really start developing a feedback loop saying, okay, we're, this physician's constantly seeing this guideline, but they're never following up with it. So we can feed that back to the administrator and say, you have one or two options. You can really sit down with this physician, explain to them that by following this guideline, they will be providing more quality of care and therefore increase their reimbursement. Or maybe there, there's some an issue with the guideline and the provider shouldn't be seeing it anymore and just turn it off. So what we allow the providers and really our end users to do is really tailor the type of guidelines and alerts and interventions that they see. And it's basically just clicking a button that turns the guideline on and off. And so that really helps the whole idea of alert fatigue. So rather than seeing every single guideline, every single intervention, every single quality measure on the face of the earth, they're only seeing the 10, 15 that they actually care about. When you say that Ivana 
shows every single guideline on the face of the earth. Do you want to qualify that a little bit or is that actually pretty true? <laughs> That's our long-term goal, obviously, as being an entrepreneur. There's that bigger vision and that more realistic goal. So what we have is really all the ACO, the patient-centered medical home guidelines in our system. And we're in the process of building out. There's about 450 quality measures out there. And we are focusing a lot more on that outpatient setting currently. And we're in the process of building out all of those. And we're about halfway there. But there's a lot of in the inpatient setting, a lot of it around patient safety indicators that once we really accomplish in the outpatient setting, we really want to go back into the inpatient setting and make sure that the technology that we're giving the outpatient physicians, the inpatient physicians can receive the same thing. I'm assuming that there's also some work that could be done there. When you were talking about the 450 guidelines, I'm thinking about quality measures, Yeah, which you've got four different measures, which effectively are measuring the same thing, but using different numerators and denominators yeah. or measuring them in different ways. This reporting on the back end and then the guidelines that you're showing on the front end, I could imagine that you could be a big help for a practice who's trying to attest to numerous quality measures by making sure you're collecting the right data so the information can be parsed. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, spot on. So it really the whole idea of clinical decision support is how to make it happen. So how to make sure that the clinician is doing the right thing. But what's currently happening with these quality measures and a lot of how a lot of times how they're reporting on it, it is really data warehouses that exist in the back end that they're running a report, let's say 24, 48 hours later, a week later to see how their providers are doing. But the issue is the patient has already went home, has left the encounter. And so what you need to do is really move as upstream as possible to make sure that you're affecting the patient care why the patient's in the encounter. And so that's really how you do it. <laughs> what do those reports on the back end look like? So if I'm an administrator of an ambulatory provider, say, what do I see when I log in the back end of Avana? As administrator, what you see is really the adherence of the guidelines among your physicians. You see how many guidelines, how many interventions your physicians saw, how they followed up on that. With those two measures, you can actually tie into how specific physicians are doing, tie into how your population is doing. And then from there, you can actually tie it back to how much you're increasing your reimbursement in this pay-for-performance world. So I know in 2017, that new, I think it's called MACRA, there's a lot of different names out there for different ways to reimburse physicians. But my health policy, people have been telling me that really in the future, about $100,000 of your reimbursement is being tied to following these quality measures. And right now, it's all retrospective after the fact rather than thinking forward of how you accomplish it. Speaking of the future, maybe what's going on right now, you had mentioned your integration with Athena. And, and obviously, that's one of their core missions is to make sure that their system, their API is very amenable to being overlaid by various technologies. But let's just say you're integrated with some of the other systems, like in all scripts or, or systems that are, are typically used within the ambulatory setting. And I don't know whether you are or you not. You're not. Mm -hmm. I'm just speculating here. But does the functionality that an Avana or a similar company provide with those other EHRs, is that similar to what you've described? Or what are the notable absences or pluses? 
a company like us who wants to integrate with the EHR is limited on the types of the APIs that do exist for the electronic health record. So we've integrated with four EHRs to date, which represent about 40% of the physician marketplace. And so each of these EHRs, we have different functionality that we piggybacked on. So we have one EHR that actually these recommendations and guidelines appear directly inside of the EHR. So the provider doesn't even have to click a button. There's nothing that they open up the patient's chart. And then they see a a little intervention right there saying, based on the patient you're looking at right now, here's everything you need to do. And this is built off the same guidelines analytics engine that we have. That exists in one EHR. Another EHR, like Athena Health, you have to click the button. That triggers the billet. That triggers, you see the same pop-up message, then you send the data back into the EHR. But what's really great about outsourcing it from the EHR, like we have and like you described, is that regardless what EHR the patient is being seen on, you can ensure that they're receiving the same quality of care that follow these um, quality measures. And so that's really one issue that a lot of these integrated health networks, ACOs, PCMH have, that you have five, six, I know there's an example of one ACO having 24 different EHRs, that regardless of what EHR the patient's on, you're going to be graded the same way and the expectations you provide the same quality of care. Yeah, I think I know what ACO you're talking about because that's a notable number there, 24. I think they were surprised. But that begs another question, which is the interoperability. Are you able to, in the example you mentioned, and I know this is probably slightly dependent on the hospital system or the system that you're working with, but are you able to aggregate the data in some fashion on the back end? So even if one patient's on one EHR system and another patient's being seen by another practice, and this is kind of a two-part question because one is that they're within the same health system, but then another one is say they go to the pharmacy and get their flu shot. That's the great thing about outsourcing clinical decision support to its own standalone system is that really going forward, this data that's going to exist everywhere, data that exists inside EHR, data that exists inside the Information Health Exchange, HIE, data that exists in the claims database, data that exists into geographic data from where they are and based on that cancer risk. And that's ultimately where we want to go is pull all of that information together to really get the best view of the patient. And you just can't do that inside the EHR alone. And that is actually the holy grail of clinical decision support as you're pulling all this patient information, all this information, and then from there making the best decision. And that really is the holy grail, the whole point of population health. Do you see yourself at some juncture integrating with HIEs or how would you see making sure that the data set that you're working with is as robust as you can make it, given that a patient might be promiscuous in (laughs) the number of networks that they're getting care within? I think that's an issue that over time is going to evolve to be easier to solve. So right now, there's just so much data that's out there. And to be honest, without a a national patient identifier, it's almost going to be impossible to do it. So that's one thing that one day needs to get done, definitely, if you really want to have true population health to be able to track the patient over time. But that really is long-term where we want to go. And just doing that, it's just it's it's going to take a long time (laughs) to be done successfully. Or excuse me, if they get their flu shot at their dentist. Yes. (laughs) So where can people find more information about Avana? Feel free to email me at noah, N-O-A-H, at avana.com. 
A-V-H-A-N-A.com or find us on the internet at www.avhana.com. It was so great having you on the show today, Noah. Great. Thank you, Stacey. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.